Good morning. Thank you for viewing this legal lesson sponsored by the Law Office of Travell Travis. Our firm specializes in the needs of pastors, entrepreneurs, creatives, and the community. Uh, we encourage you to please like, comment, share uh, this video. Also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, as well as visit our website, TravelTravis.com. Email us, TravelTravis at gmail.com or call us at area code 757-528-8529. As a disclaimer, videos are for educational advertising and not a substitute for consulting a licensed attorney in your state, nor uh, do these videos create an attorney-client relationship. Uh, last year, if I may, I published my first book entitled Don't Eat the Baby, uh, The Characteristics of a Cannibalistic Church. In chapter six, I discussed the polar bear and used that to speak about sex abuse, sexual assault, and harassment that takes place in the church. And I raised issues in terms of the need for churches to train and screen workers, uh, to uh, develop protocols and procedures for handling allegations, and uh, ministries equipped to serve victims as well as the violators. Um, and their families of sexual assault, sexual abuse, um, and sexual harassment. One of the things that I mentioned in that chapter, and I encourage you to go to www.dontEatTheBaby.org to purchase your copy of the book and to uh, watch in particular that, read particularly that chapter. But one of the things that I mentioned is the need to know the legal requirements um, in your state as it relates to reporting sexual abuse um, in your congregation or uh, known uh, to you or to your ministers um, in your congregation. As of July 1st, uh, Virginia has been added to the list uh, that now requires ministers, uh, ministers to report suspicions of abuse and neglect unless uh, that church's doctrine requires otherwise. So while anyone may voluntarily uh, report, ministers are now added to the list with doctors and teachers and nurses are required, required, mandatory to report uh, any suspicion of abuse or neglect of children or otherwise face a fine uh, for failing to report it. Uh, this includes any suspicions of physical abuse or neglect, sexual abuse, emotional, mental abuse of someone under uh, the age of 18. So even if it happened years ago, if the person is still under the age of 18, there is still a mandatory requirement, especially if that person, the victim is uh, a citizen of Virginia as well as uh, the alleged violator is a citizen of Virginia. The mandatory uh, reporting doesn't necessarily uh, initiate criminal charges or proceedings, but merely opens an inquiry or investigation uh, to find out if further investigation, further charges, further actions are uh, warranted. Um, reporting can be done anonymously uh, or confidentially, or uh, one can 
include their name and information. And there are some pros and cons and advantages and disadvantages of doing it anonymous, anonymously or confidentially, uh, not, which I will not get into at this moment. Uh, note that the law, as of now, does not necessarily change any of the standing rules of, of confidential communications between clergy and uh, members uh, in, in regards to civil or criminal uh, matters. So even though you may be required to report it uh, in terms of initiating an investigation, uh, there may be still some room not to have to testify in court if it gets to that point. So right now we're not dealing with court testimony. We're largely dealing with who is required to report such incidents to the authorities. There are two exemptions uh, to this law. Uh, the first is if it is known, known that someone else has reported uh, the, the suspicions or the allegations to the authorities, then you don't have to do it again. Uh, but you want to make sure that is known, is confirmed. So exemption number one, you don't have to uh, report something that has already been reported. But the second exemption is where the law says your doctrine prohibits the sharing or disclosing of any information between perhaps a minister and the member in counseling or in confessions uh, in some type of uh, situation along those lines. Uh, most notably, we were many are familiar with uh, the practice in the Catholic Church of uh, confessions, normally anonymous. Uh, and it's a very sacred thing between uh, the member and the congregation and the priest to be able to share and to disclose. And so if that is a fundamental tenet of your doctrine, that that confidentiality and counseling and confession should be maintained, it needs to be documented in your discipline manual, in your bylaws, and your doctrine, it can't just be something that you say or do, but not have written documentation to support that that is a fundamental tenet or belief or practice of the church. And so once again, if you if you look at the Catholic example, uh, you're, you're dealing with normally confidential, anonymous, and something that's long-term sacred. I even saw an article recently where the Pope reaffirmed uh, that sacredness and confidentiality in the confession uh, to, to the priest. So unless you're at that level or have documented, you want to make sure that there are some clear guidelines in that regard. Um, how should one proceed with this new law? One, I think it's important for churches uh, to have not just a training, but regular training as to who, what, when, where, and how uh, to identify as well as to report allegations of abuse and neglect. Also clarifying who's covered and who's not covered by the law in terms of it says ministers, but in many churches, who are ministers? Are we talking about the pastor? Are we talking about elders? Are we talking about licensed ministers, evangelists, deacons, missionaries? In some churches, um, you have a youth pastor or youth minister who, ne who isn't necessarily licensed as a minister, but has the title of a youth minister. 
And so it's going to be very important that there's even some degree of clarification as to who is covered um, within the congregation. Also, some in your congregation may be bivocational and have roles outside of the, the church that may require uh, disclosure. And then there may be uh, certain professions like myself, a legal profession, where um, you're not allowed necessarily to disclose uh, certain allegations or suspicions of abuse or neglect, depending on uh, the source of, of, of that information. So it's going to be important to have that dialogue, have that conversation within your uh, congregation. And then number three, if doctrine, doctrine or your belief or practice requires uh, confidential communication, make sure that is clearly documented in your doctrine book, discipline manual, bylaws, that it is a known policy of, of, of the sorts. I give you two hypotheticals, and, and the law does not speak to this specifically. It may be some things that will be hashed out over time in court. But for example, this summer, a lot of churches, you have vacation Bible school. You have your regular uh, children, but also maybe drawing children from the congregation, I mean, from the community, if you will. Not only that, your staff, you may have teen volunteers who aren't ministers, but are ministering. What happens if a child from the community uh, discloses to that teen teacher or staff member uh, some inappropriate behavior or conduct? Are they required to disclose it uh, to the authorities? Are they required to disclose it to someone in charge? Um, what if that person in charge isn't necessarily a minister, but in ministry? And so whether it's vacation Bible school, whether it's children's church, whether it's the uh, uh, Sunday school class, maybe it's just a youth fellowship group, maybe it's um, the uh, uh, youth ministry um, at the church, who's required to report to whom? Uh, maybe if that person is not a minister, but in ministry, should they have some type of procedure? Who do I go to with this information? How do we vet this information? And who is ultimately responsible for reporting that information? As well as in terms of uh, having protocols in place to say, if someone begins to disclose certain information, that you give them a warning or that you give them some type of disclaimer that hey if you if you go further in telling this information to me then i may have uh, uh, be obligated to report it to authorities and so sometimes it's just good for your staff uh, your leadership team your ministerial staff to really be aware of those protocols of the church who goes where who do we tell we don't want to tell everybody in the church but somebody in the church needs to know who is that person um, in that uh, scenario Another uh, perhaps hypothetical could be the consensual, if you will, statutory rape. And you say, well, statutory rape is not consensual. But just say, for instance, you have someone who's 15 um, and someone who's 18, maybe a sophomore in high school, in a senior high school, uh, something happens maybe on the prom night. Uh, technically, in many states, that would be construed as a statutory rape, albeit consensual, non-force, but because of the age, statutory rape. Perhaps one of the parties discloses, hey, this is what happens. I feel regret. I feel remorse. Maybe it's at the altar. Maybe it's in a private counseling one-on-one -on -one session. Is there a duty to report that to the authorities? 
person's under age 18, technically that's statutory rape. They told you this in confidence that, hey, maybe they slipped, they fail, they have regrets, they're struggling with something. And the question is, you want to remain confidential, you want them to maintain trust in you, but at the same time, by law, are you now required to disclose that to uh, the authorities? So once again, I think those conversations need to be had in the church, especially with your ministry leaders and your uh, ministers, because it may not always be the pastor. It may be the altar worker. It may be the youth leader. It may be the Sunday school teacher. It may be the choir director. It may be someone who is in leadership or respected, who may not necessarily have a title or a license, but may be the first ones who are confronted with this information. And the question is, what happens next? And the reason I raise that is because what happens if nine months later, there's some evidence of what happened, if you will, or parents find out and they're going ballistic, like, wait a minute, you knew this, you knew this was going on. You knew this happened to my child, especially if somehow the, the pregnancy is terminated or somehow the, the, the pregnancy is uh, uh, ended. Uh, because of medical issues and the parents now like wait a minute you knew this happened between this person and this person you kept it a secret and they will likely perhaps in their anger and frustration be the one that reports to the authorities that you didn't disclose it that you didn't share it and so you want to make sure that there is a conversation um, that there are some policies there are some procedures that there are some trainings that takes place in your church regarding this particular uh, matter once again, our law office is available to assist you. Uh, you may also want to contact Child Protective Services or someone in that field to conduct some type of training, seminar, workshop in your church, in your uh, leadership conference, in your pastoral uh, conferences, training sessions, whether it's of your Reformation denomination, your local church, or just something that you sponsor. This may be a topic that needs to be covered so everyone is aware of the issue. Um, I will also post on this site and in the comments section um, the publication from the Commonwealth of Virginia Child Protective Services that really lays out in detail uh, some of the scenarios and questions that you may have. Always remember uh, that ignorance of the law is never an excuse for violating the law. And so that's why we provide these legal lessons to make you aware of the law uh, so you're not blindsided and that you can put the proper training protocols, procedures, documentation in place to handle these situations. Something also I will ask you to do as I get ready to conclude this legal lesson for today is in the comments section, please post um, perhaps your policies, your protocols or your procedures that your church may have or your opinion about some of the scenarios that I've listed. Please don't get into specifics or specific examples, but I think it is good to hear kind of how other churches, how other ministries handle certain scenarios, the protocols, the procedures, the doctrines, so that others may learn from it. So once again, if you're watching this video and you have something that you can share or you have an opinion or a thought, as well as we encourage you to like, share, and comment on all of our videos uh, so that they can be a benefit to the larger audience, to the kingdom, um, at large. So once again, uh, we thank you for viewing uh, this legal lesson sponsored by the Law Office of Travel Travis. We encourage you to like, share, and comment on these 
and other videos as well as on our uh, fan page. Once again, connect to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Visit our website, TravelTravis.com. Email us, TravelTravis at gmail.com. Or call us at area code 757-528-8529. We love to help you and your church. Once again, God bless you and have a great day.